Hey, if you have your Bibles with you today, book of Exodus, it's the second book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, right after the book of Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 2 today. We continue this series that's just called Exodus. We're going through this grand epic, this grand story that's found here in the Old Testament. And it's much more than just a story, much more than just this epic. This is God's reminder to us of who he is in our life. And the idea as we go through this series over these next um, six, seven weeks here is that we would come to know God on a deeper level, that we would come to know who he is in our lives, what it means to be his son, his daughter, a follower of his. That word know there, I I mentioned it last week, is the word genesco. That's a Greek word. Um, In Hebrew, the word is yada. But you come to know someone on a deeper level. How many know that you could know about someone You could know them like, I kind of know that person, you know, I work with them or whatever. But you don't know somebody closely until you spend time with them, until you engage with them, until you have life experience with them. And really through this series, what we want you to do is we want you to genesco God. We want you to know who God is on this deeper level because knowing God on this level does a few things. One, it builds your faith and trust in him because you get to know his heart for you and who he is in your life. And second of all, it draws you closer to him. When you know how big God is, when you know how great and powerful he is, and that his heart is for you, to rescue you, to deliver you, to provide for you, to show himself strong and mighty in your life, you can't help but want to draw nearer to a God like that. So that is our goal, that is our hope for this series. Two weeks ago, we learned that he is the God who moves, right? God never sleeps, God never slumbers, God never punches the clock, he doesn't go on vacation, he doesn't take time off, God is always moving, he moves in the good times of your life, he moves in the bad times of your life. We learn that God is faithful to his promises, that if he promises you something, he will complete it, he will complete it. And we learn that God uses everyone. Think about the people that he used in those first chapters of Exodus, right? This uh, young Pharaoh's daughter who was rebellious against her own father, God used her. The, the, the birth mothers who would birth the children, God used them. God used this um, unknown Hebrew man who had a son with his wife named Moses. And this baby who didn't even know what was going to become of his life, God was already using him too. So God uses everybody. And today we want to talk about the God who hears, Okay. I want to show you through God's word that we serve a God who hears. He hears you. He knows you. Do you know him? He is the God who hears. So let's catch up to where we're at in the story here. When we finished, Moses had just come onto the scene. They had placed him in the basket, put him in the river. The uh, teenage daughter of Pharaoh found him, took him to be his own son. And Moses was raised as Egyptian royalty. He was schooled by the Egyptians. He was military trained by the Egyptians. He was considered a prince, uh, an up-and-comer in the administration. He served in the Egyptian royal court. I mean, he was Hebrew by birth, but he was really royalty in Egyptians' eyes and in the eyes of the Israelites as well. As he grew older, God began to grab a hold of his heart, right? And doesn't God do that? God seems to kind of grab the hold of our heart from time to time. And what Moses began to do is he began to see the cruelty that was being inflicted upon the Israelites. And that began to anger him. He began to question things. And and it got to the point where he saw an Egyptian uh, man mistreating an Egyptian, uh, a Hebrew man. 
and Moses took matters into his own hands and he killed the Egyptian man. Now this put him obviously in very big trouble because he was Egyptian royalty. And, and he thought, well, this will gain me favor with the Israelites because I, I just avenged this mistreatment of the Hebrew people. But the Hebrew people didn't accept Moses either. They said, no, you're part of the administration. You're part of the government that's oppressing us. So now he's, he's disliked by the Israelites. He's in trouble with the Egyptian authorities. So Moses has no other option. Moses leaves. He goes and he goes to the desert. And he finds himself in the desert, and he runs into this man named Jethro. Jethro happens to have some daughters, so he meets one of Jethro's daughters. And Moses takes a job. He goes from being the second in command in Egypt, high on the court, military hero, trained, schooled, set up for leadership. And now for 40 years, for 40 years, Moses works as a shepherd in the desert. He's probably wondering, what happened to my life? Now, he had some obviously bad choices that he had done, right? He had murdered this Egyptian man. And he was suffering now the consequences of his choices. And he finds himself removed from his people, removed from his calling, his destiny. And he's here tending to sheep in the middle of the desert. For 40 years, Moses is doing this. And now Moses has no idea, but God is moving. Because God is always moving, right? And through doing this, what you would think is redundant, boring, horrible job of tending sheep, God is preparing Moses for his calling, for his purpose. So here in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, uh, we hear God speak. And God speaks in response to hearing his people. The first thing I want to show you today is that God hears you. If you're taking notes, you can snap a picture of this or, or write it down. But God hears us so you can cry out to him. God hears us so cry out to him. That is the teaching point and the application at the same time. God hears you so what should you do? Cry out to him because he is a God who hears. Here in Exodus 2 verse 23, read along with me. It will be on your screen if you don't have a Bible. This is what the word of God says. It says, years passed, years passed, and Moses is here in the field tending to sheep. He's doing this smelly, remedial, redundant work of herding sheep for his father-in-law. Years passed, the king of Egypt, Ramses, had already died, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help. There you go. What were the people doing? They were groaning. They were crying out for help and their cry rose up to God. The conditions for the Israelites got progressively worse as time went on. The Egyptians were just more harsh on them. They were more cruel. They demanded more from them in their work. They gave them less resources. And in response, the Bible uses this word to say that the Israelites were groaning. It was just not a cry. I want you to understand this. This word from gro for groaning means something from your guts. It literally means from the innards. Have you ever heard someone like groan in pain where you know it's so intense, it's so desperate, it, it, it's not superficial, it's coming from a deep place within, it's coming from the soul and the guts of a person. This is how bad the situation was for Israel. And in the middle of this, they groan and they cry for help. This is an urgent prayer. 
a, a desperate outpouring for help. They were lamenting God do something. Have you ever been in that place in your life where it seemed so dark, it seemed so desperate, that you had nothing else to do? It wasn't pretty. It wasn't fancy, but it was just a guttural scream, a guttural cry, God, do something, now I need you. Have you experienced that? That's what Israel was living here, day in and day out. And guess what? God hears them. Because he is the God who hears. Look at verse 24. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. I love that. That from this place of desperation and the cry that rose up from the people. And some of you, you're here today. You're at that point of desperation. You have nothing left in the gas tank. You're out of options. There's no wild card. There's no aces up your sleeve. You're in a place where your back is up against the wall. The only thing you have here today is the breath in your lungs and your voice. And you're screaming, God, help me. And if you're wondering, does he hear you? God hears you. God hears you, so cry out to him. I want you to notice here some ways that God moves through the groaning of the people. It says that he remembers. It wasn't that God had forgotten about his people. Don't misread that to say like God was busy working in the garage and was like, oh, my people have been in slavery for 400 years. God did not forget. God knew this was happening. He had ordained it. He was affirming here, I made you a promise, I'll fulfill it. Our God is a God of promise, of faithfulness. I want you to see that he is the God who hears. It says that he heard their groanings. God's ear is open to your prayers. I love the image that in Psalms, David writes that when we pray to God, that God leans in to our prayers. It reminds me of like a father or a mother when their child is talking to them and you could have this distance, you know, you could have this space. Maybe you're up here or higher or lower. Your child is down there and they're calling out to you and, and, and a parent sometimes will get low, right? A parent will get low and they'll lean in to the words of their child because they're letting them know, I want to hear you well. I want you to know that I'm on your level. I see you. And I want to hear you. That's what God does. He comes off his throne in heaven. He comes off that place of rule and reign. He draws near to you and he says, talk to me. I want to hear you. So cry out to him. He's the God who hears. He's the God who hears. He remembers. He also sees. The scripture there says he saw, he looked down on the people of Israel. That means from his place, he saw the hurt, he saw the trauma, he saw the pain, he saw the desperation, he saw their need, he saw their lack, he saw their doubt. God sees everything. And one of the ways God moves when we cry out to him, he affirms to you, you know what? I see you. I see you. And then the last thing it tells us is that God knew. God knew. He knew it was time to act. He said, now is the time. Now, I wish I had an explanation for you to tell you. This is how God decides when it's time to move. There's no explanation for that. There's none. You'll never get one, so stop looking. 
But you know what you can have? You can have faith. Faith that he will move. Because when you know God on that level, you know, God, you won't let me down. God, you won't leave me out like this. God, you won't abandon me. God, you won't leave me. So I don't know when you're going to move, God. But I will trust and I will stand in faith that you are a God of your promises. You hear me. You promise me. You remember. You see me. So, God, I know you will move. Guess where that comes from? Genesco. You only build that kind of faith from knowing God on this level, from knowing God on this level. So what do we do with this idea that God is a God who hears? We need to cry out to him. We need to be a people who's open to him, a, a people where there's no fronting. You know, there's a lot of fronting sometimes in the church, right, if we're just being honest. We were at Universal recently, my family, in, in Florida, and if you've ever been there, there's a part in the park where they make it seem like you're walking through the streets of New York City. And there's some actual physical buildings there. But over like on one whole side of the park, you see the skyline of New York City, part of the skyline of New York City. And if you're walking, if you're walking and you're just gazing, it kind of looks like the real thing. There's skyscrapers, there's buildings there, but it's a front. It's not real. There's nothing behind those buildings. That is just a piece of wood that's painted to make it look like the real thing. There's no foundations there. There's nothing built into the ground there. If a strong gust of wind came or a storm came, those things will probably either break or, or, or flip over or, or get knocked down because there's nothing really rooting them in there. It's a front. It's a fake. It's a phony. And sometimes I feel like we could have that kind of relationship with God. We will stand before him and we'll say, God, we're good. I'm good. I'm, I'm rooted. I'm grounded. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I'm strong. I'm, I'm dealing with this. No, you're not. A strong breeze, a strong storm, some bad news from the doctor, your kid's getting a little crazy, your marriage falling apart, and your life will be flipped upside down because there's no foundation. And God does not want that kind of relationship with you. God wants your whole self. He wants your whole self. That means he wants you. He wants all your emotions. He doesn't want you to mask them. He doesn't want you to fake them. He doesn't want you to internalize them. He is saying, bring me all that you are. I want you to groan if it's a season of groaning. He wants you to bring it all. He hears you. He sees you. He remembers you. The second thing that we learn from this encounter here that Moses is about to have is not only is he a God who hears so we could cry to him, but he's a God who's always calling us out. God calls us out, so he wants you to hear him. God wants you to be listening when his call comes. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Generally, we're bad listeners, right, if we're going to be honest. We're bad listeners. Why? Because we love to talk. People love to talk, and we don't listen so much as well as we talk. Again, there's a reason why God gave us two ears, one mouth, right? We should listen more than we talk, but we're usually bad listeners. In today's time, it's either because we love to talk or we're creating our response or we're just distracted. I mean, everyone's on their phones. People are scrolling social media. There's some people here doing it right now. They don't even know we're talking about them. It's okay, don't look at them. We'll leave them alone. They'll hear it later on the tape. You'll be like, oh, they were talking about me. You're distracted. Shh. We're generally distracted people. Television, internet, 
work, responsibilities, and hey, it's hard to get away from some of those things because they're in our face constantly 24-7. I get it. I'm, I'm right with you. I'm distracted at times as well. But we're generally bad listeners. We sometimes have to, how many of you have had to do this? You have to call people's names twice to get their attention, right? I'm married. My wife calls my name once, no response. She'll call my name twice, no response. Then she gets loud, you know. She'll hey, I'm talking to you. Oh, yeah, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. I'm distracted. I'm distracted. We all go through that. Moses here, thankfully, there's no phone. There's no Twitter back then. There's no um, internet. Uh, but God wanted his attention, so God calls out to him as he's tending the flock. Look at um, chapter 3 now. We're in chapter 3, verse 2. So Moses is there. He's got all these sheep. He's trying to keep them together. This is his job. He's, he's in his 9 to 5. He's in this very ordinary moment when God does something. And we can't lose sight that God does extraordinary things in the ordinary moments. Verse 2 says this, there, The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared at the bush in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it wasn't burning up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Again, he's in the middle of these stressful responsibilities. These are not even his sheep. These are his father-in-law's sheep. So I'm sure that's some added pressure there. He's trying to keep them together. He's making sure no one's lost. But out of the corner of the eye, something gets his attention. And now he's wondering, why isn't that bush burning? So he goes and he checks it out. Verse 4. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called out to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned him. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the Lord, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Here is God calling Moses. Calling him out. I want you to notice the process here of how God does this. The first thing you'll notice is that God initiates this conversation. It is God the one who moves the conversation forward. Moses is not out there looking for God. Moses is just trying to keep these sheep together. This is God initiating this conversation. And many times in the walk of faith, God is trying to get your attention. God is trying to speak to you. Are we watching? Are we noticing? Are we picking up the signs? The second thing you'll notice is that God guides Moses. He says, Moses... Come here. And, it, and as Moses gets closer, God says, hey, 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 not, not, not so close. This is holy ground. Take off your sandals. Now, now, why would he make Moses take off his sandals? In this culture, when you went to someone's house, much like today, uh, you would remove your shoes when you entered their space. It was a sign of respect. Hey, I'm entering your space, so I'm going to politely remove my shoes. Um, then I'll enter your space. Here, God was saying, Moses, you're in the presence of God. This is holy ground. Remove your sandals. So, so Moses does that. God is guiding him, showing him this is how you approach a holy, reverent, perfect God. The third thing that God does is that he reveals who he is. He calls Moses. 
he guides Moses, then he tells Moses, I am the God of your fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. God transforming this ordinary moment into a holy moment. And in the same way that God was calling Moses and trying to get him to listen and get his attention then, God still does that for us today. Some of you might have that question, does God speak? That's a fair question. Because you may have heard people in the church say, you know, I heard from the Lord, or I got a word from the Lord, or, or you know, God told me. How many of you have heard people say things like that? And when you hear that, do you wonder, like, well, did you really hear him say that? Like, was it like a boom? Did it sound like Morgan Freeman? <laughs> or more like the Darth Vader voice? Who knows? What if God sounds like Jim Carrey? I don't know. But it's kind of a very mystifying thing when people say, I heard from God. And maybe you're saying, I've never heard God's voice. Does that mean God doesn't speak to me? No, I, I think God's trying to speak to you all the time. And, and God, you, you might say, well, when does this happen? Does this happen like only in church buildings? Like does this happen, you know, only in the holy places? Like do I have to go to Israel, to a mountaintop to hear the voice of God? Do I need to go to a special place? I mean, where is it that I go to hear from God? And, and, and the truth is here was a guy in the middle of a desert doing his job and God speaks to him. God speaks to you through the mundane. God speaks to you through the ordinary moments. That's why he is the God of the extraordinary because he takes the ordinary and he flips it and he makes it extraordinary. The bigger question is, are we listening? Are we listening? Because Moses could have easily missed this, but this thing just caught his eye. He couldn't, he, he, he couldn't be removed from it. So, so how does God speak? Let me spend just a little bit of time here explaining to you the ways that God speaks to you. How does God speak to you? Here's one very simple way that God speaks to you. God speaks to you through his word. Through the word of God, God communicates this love that he has for you, who you are, your identity, your value, your destiny, the plan that he has for your life. God communicates and speaks to you through his word. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing what? The word of God. God speaks to you through his word. Are we listening? God also speaks to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is teaching his disciples, he says, I will leave you, but one will come after me. And the one who comes after me, look what he says. He says, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. God speaks through the power of his Holy Spirit. Are we attuned to it? Do we allow for it? Do we, do we minimize the distractions to say, Holy Spirit, I'm listening to how you're leading me in my life. God is always speaking through the power of his Holy Spirit. Here's another way God speaks. Speaks through his word, speaks through the Holy Spirit. God speaks through other people. God uses other people. This is why in the book of Hebrews, it says we shouldn't neglect gathering like this. We shouldn't see this as just like, mm, do I want to go to church on Sunday? I don't know. The Bears game starts at 12. They start at 1130. Bears game. All right. I'll tune in on Facebook kind of like halfway. You know, I might even say good morning on the chat. Just to let me know, just to let him know I'm here. No offense to those of you watching at home. We love you, we love you, we love you. Just don't neglect this, okay? Don't neglect this. But the writer of Hebrews says we shouldn't neglect this gathering. Why is this gathering so important? Why is church so important? 
It's not about coming to give your tithes and offerings. It's not about that. Here it is. It's so that you could encourage one another. It's so that when we come, we're in the family of God and we say, hey, bro, hey, sis, how you doing? How's it been going? How's your family? How are you doing? Hey, are things getting better? I'm praying for you. Hey, I love you. Hey, let's have coffee. Hey, let's meet. We get in the family of God because this is how the family encourages one another. And when you do that, when you step into that place, you're allowing God to use you as a vessel for him to speak into people's lives. So he says, encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That's another way of saying, especially now that days are tough. Amen? Life is tough, isn't it? And the tougher life gets, the more opportunity God could use you to speak into the lives of someone else. So God speaks through his word. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. He speaks through others. God will even speak through creation. Through creation. Look at Psalms 19. It says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. If you've ever walked in a dark middle of the country road and looked up at night and saw the stars, you can't help to say, oh, Lord, my God, how wonderful and beautiful your creation is. In these days when the leaves begin to turn colors and, 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 and the fall season comes upon us as we move into winter, you can't help but step back and say, man, look at how big and how creative God is. God speaks through creation. It says day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. God speaks through creation. And God also speaks through the ordinary moments like tending sheep in the middle of a desert. God will speak to you as you're walking out of your car on a dreadful Monday morning about to punch the clock to go to work. Those are some of the most powerful times God will speak to you directly. How many of you have experienced the presence of God and his leading in the most ordinary of moments? I mean, come on. You're stuck in traffic. You're going to work. You're cooking dinner for your kids. You're feeling overwhelmed from the bills. And yet God speaks. God is always speaking Paul says here, I pray that your hearts will be flooded, flooded with the idea that God is speaking to me. I don't know about you, but that's, that's, that's a really cool thought, isn't it? The God of the universe who created this whole thing. The God who orchestrated the planets and the moon. The God who shaped the mountains and dug the oceans. I mean, that God speaks to me. That's too much to handle sometimes. And if you've never felt that, my question to you is not so much, well, is he, is he not speaking to you? That's not the question, because God is always speaking. My question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you separating space to hear from the Lord? Because if we don't, we'll miss it. If we don't, we miss it. Uh, Skylar Spradlin who's a pastor and author, he says, don't believe that God only works through the spectacular. Don't fall for the myth that God only works through the, you know, fireworks, social media post-worthy moments of your life. He says, instead realize it that it is spectacular that God is with us in the ordinary moments every day. That is what's spectacular, that in the ordinary moments, God is there. God is speaking. God wants your attention. He's calling out to you. It may not be a burning bush. You may not hear his voice, 
but God will use the Bible to encourage you. It might not be a burning bush, but God will use a friend to speak hope into your life. It might not be a burning bush, but God will use your child to hug you, to remind you of the great love that he has for you. You might not see a burning bush, but God will use a movie to prompt you closer in relationship with him. It may not be a burning bush, but God will use a walk in the park to remind you of how great he is. It may not be a bush, but God will use a worship song to calm you down from your most anxious moment. God is always speaking. My question to you is, are you listening? So one, God hears us cry out to him. Two, God is always calling us. Hear him. And I want to finish with this. God uses us. We are part of his plan. When you realize that God wants to use you in your life, that you are a part of his plan, it changes us. It changes us. So here Moses, he's by this bush now. And he's having this encounter with God. God has called him. He's answered. And he's saying, here I am, God. Here I am. Let's see what happens next. Verse 7 here in chapter 3. Then the Lord told him, the Lord tells Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Again, he's the God who sees. I have heard the cries in distress from their harsh slave drivers. Again, he's the God who he hears. This is God reminding Moses who he is. He says, I am aware of their suffering. God is aware of you. He knows you. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile, spacious land. It is the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Right now, I can picture Moses, and he's saying, yes, God is going to do something. God, you're going to snap your finger, and you're going to bring us out, and we're going to be free. I mean, yeah, we've been waiting for 400 years, God, and now you're going to do something. Yes, God, yes, I've been waiting for this moment. Not so fast. Because look at verse 10. Look what God says. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. I grew up in the 80s, different strokes. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> if there was ever a what you talking about, Willis moment in the Bible, this was one right here. Because I could imagine Moses being so excited, Moses just being head over heels over this news. Again, who was speaking to him? This wasn't his buddy. This wasn't one of his sheep. This wasn't the other shepherd down the road. This was God, and God was saying, I am moving, and I'm going to lead, and I'm going to set your people free, and I'm going to do something amazing. And Moses, you're going to be part of it, and you're going to see it. And Moses is saying, yes, 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 God, yes. And then he hears Moses, you're going to be the guy to accomplish it. Wait, what? No. That's not how it works. But God wants to use you. God has always chosen humanity to be his ambassadors. He chooses, he chooses us to be his emissaries. He chooses us to be his representatives here in the world. And, and listen, uh, Moses is going to go back and forth with God and give every excuse in the book about why it shouldn't be him. And we do the same with God, don't we? 
When God has called you into something great, and I, and I believe God has a plan and a will and a destiny and, and something special that only you can fulfill. No one else on this earth of now almost 8 billion people is you. No one has that same fingerprint. No one has that same shade of eye color. No one has that same uh, 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 structure that you have, that same character that you have, because God doesn't make copies. God doesn't make duplicates. God is not like Target where he makes 10,000 versions of one product. No, God is creative. God is unique. God is powerful. And he's created you to be uniquely you. And only you could fit your piece into his grand puzzle, which he calls your life. Only you could fulfill that. And God wants to use you. And from the beginning of time, God has always chosen uh, humanity, broken yet beautiful, hurting, reluctant, not willing. God has chosen us to be part of his story. And here he tells Moses, come and step into your moment. Now there's two big truths here. God gives us the ability to choose. I love that this was mentioned earlier in the baptisms. This brother chose to follow God. He had the ability to go another direction if he wanted to. God gives you the power of free will. God will not bend your arm. He was not giving Moses an ultimatum. He wasn't telling Moses, look, you're going to do this or I'm going to kill you. God doesn't present himself that way. He says, uh, uh, Moses, I want to use you. Now, did God need Moses? God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need any one of us. He didn't ask Moses to do this because he needed Moses. He asked Moses to do this because he wanted to. And he calls you out of ordinary and into extraordinary, not because so much that he needs to know. Nothing can stop the plan of God from being fulfilled. Nothing. But he wants you to be part of it. He wants you to flow in the things that he has for you. God has something great. God has something amazing. God has something powerful, and he wants you to be a part of it. That's why he calls you out. So step into the thing that God has for you, but you must choose it. You must choose it. Choose God, you choose life, and life more abundantly. Reject God, you choose death and separation from God. I cannot sugarcoat that. I cannot make you feel good about a choice that involves rejecting God. You reject God, you choose death and separation from him. You choose God, you choose life and life more abundantly. It's that clear, church. It's that clear. What would Moses choose? I want us to really focus here because Moses is so much like us. We are, we are, we are so much like Moses. When we hear God call us out, oh, we think of every excuse in the book why it shouldn't be us. What were some of these excuses? Moses doubted himself. Some of you have not stepped into your calling that God has for your life because you doubt yourself. Look at verse 11 in chapter 3. This is what Moses says. He says, who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Listen, in this moment, it really didn't matter so much what Moses or anyone else thought about him. What matters is what did God say? And that's good. Some of you have been living your life worrying too much about what other people think and what other people have to say about you. 
You need to stop that. It's not important what other people say about you. It's not even important what you say about yourself. What does God say about you? What has God spoken over you? So don't doubt yourself. It's an excuse. It holds many of you back, your own self-doubt. Here's another excuse. Worrying too much about other people's opinions. We worry way too much. What are other people going to think? What are other people going to say? Look at verse 13. Moses says, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them that the God of your ancestors has sent me, they're going to ask me, what's his name? What should I tell them? He's basically saying, you know, other people are going to question me. Other people are not going to believe me. Other people are not going to want to fall in line behind me. He's worrying too much about other people's opinions, again, instead of saying, what does God have to say? Here's another excuse we use to not to follow our call from God. We fear rejection. This is a classic. We fear rejection. Look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. It says, what if they don't believe me? This is Moses. Moses is arguing with God. I want you to capture that. God has said, you're going to be the man that's going to do this. And he's arguing. He's on excuse number three right now. Right? He's like that teen kid that keeps giving their parent all the excuse why they can't clean their room, why they can't do their stuff, right? And, and, and God's just like, nope, 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 nope. God's not having it. He says, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they question me and to say, the Lord never appeared to you? Here's someone who's prioritizing pleasing people over pleasing God. And that will keep you from your calling. If you are going to choose to please people and worry about more what they want and what they have for you than pleasing God, you will never step into your calling. And it's an excuse that we use all the time. Who are you going to please? Who are you choosing to be your God? Here's another classic excuse, comparison. We avoid our calling because we compare ourselves to other people. Look at Moses in chapter 4, verse 10. He says, oh, Lord, uh, I'm not good with words. You know, I never have been, not even now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. He's saying, you know, there's so many more eloquent speakers than me. There's so many more people who could do this better than me, God. You know, why don't you go choose them? I'm not as good as them. Listen, comparison is a trick of the enemy. Comparison is a trick of the enemy to either keep you down or to make you fool of yourself. I love what Craig Rochelle says about comparison. Craig Rochelle says, comparison will either make you feel inferior, like I'm not as good as other people, or they'll make you feel superior where you think you're better than everyone. That's what comparison does. Comparison either leads you to feel less than people or better than people. And guess what? I love what he says. Neither of those honors God. Neither of those honors God. And us comparing ourselves to others is a way to keep you from stepping into your calling. And look what Moses says. He even goes as far as verse 13. Moses says, Lord, please send someone else. He rejects God. He doesn't want to go willingly. And, and what God does is God just reaffirms to Moses who he is. He reaffirms to him, Moses, this is who I am. We're going to jump back a little bit to when this conversation first started 
in chapter 3, verse 14. I'm almost done. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. He's saying, I am complete. I am total. There's none like me. Uh, you might think that that's a very kind of cop-out answer. Really, God, you ask God, who are you, God? He's going to say, well, I am who I am. Take it or leave it. <laughs> Seems like a cop-out. It could sound like it, but when you consider what the words mean, it means no one else is like me. There, there will never be anything else close to me. Nothing or no one could be on my level. I am who I am, complete, whole, holy, none like me. I am who I am. That's as simple as that. And he says, say this to the people of Israel, those who you compare yourself to, those who will doubt you, those whose opinion you're worried about, when you doubt yourself, tell yourself, I am the one who sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, first time his name is mentioned in scripture, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Church, when you're in that moment of doubt, when you're in that moment of comparison, when you're in that moment of God, please send someone else, anyone but me, remember who is the God who has sent you. He has sent you. He has preordained you. He has gifted you. He has created you to step into this place that he has created for you. Just to make sure he understands, he lets Moses witness some miracles. I love this. He tells Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses looks to his hand and he says, I got a staff. He's a shepherd. We could read over that and miss the fact that God will always use what you have in the moment. He will never ask you to use something that you don't have yet. You see, some of us get stuck in wanting to step into our call because you look too far ahead and you say, I'm not eloquent enough yet. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I don't know enough. I haven't experienced enough. I'm too young. Or whatever other excuse you want to make. And we run ahead of God and we make excuses because we see all the things we don't have when God wants to use what you have in your hand right now. What do you have right now? Hey, you might not know all of scripture right now, but you know some. What do you have in your hand right now? I could use what you have in your hand right now. So he says, I have a staff. God says, throw it down. And God turns the staff into a snake. And he says, now pick it back up. And when he picks it back up, it's a staff again. And then God says, put your hand into your robe. Moses puts his hand into his robe. God says, pull it out. He pulls out his hand. It's full of leprosy. Moses is probably thinking, oh, man, what am I going to do now? God says, put your hand back in your robe. Moses puts his hand back in his robe. He says, pull it back out. His hand is perfect. God says, when you will throw the water of the Nile onto the floor, I will turn it into blood. He's trying to reassure Moses that the God, miracle-making, sea-splitting, all-knowing, all-powerful God will be with him at all times. And still... Moses is reluctant, <laughs> a little hard-headed. So God has enough with him and says, fine, bring your brother with you. And now what Moses thinks will be a great asset will actually be a hindrance to his life because in reality, Aaron brought nothing but problems to Moses on this journey. 
So careful what we ask God for, right? God was calling him. Eventually, he would go reluctantly. Now, you might hear that and you might say, well, Juan, you know, Moses had all these cool tricks. I can't turn sticks into snakes. I can't make my hand get leprosy and heal it. I mean, I don't possess miracles. How are people going to believe me if I step into a place and say, God has a word for your life or I'd like to pray for you? How are people going to believe me? I don't have no miracles. No, you do. You were once dead to your sin. And now you're alive in Christ. I don't know about you, but that's a miracle. Hey, you used to be a slave to sin. Now you're trying to live right. I don't know about you, but that's a miracle. You didn't make that happen. You didn't buy that at Walmart. You didn't order that on Amazon. God did that in your life. So to me, you are the miracle. Don't discount that. Walk into that place. Step into your calling. Know God has sent you and change some things. God has called you. Never discount a changed life as it being not a miracle. No, that is an act of God. What we witnessed here today was two clear, obvious acts of God. These two gentlemen will testify that to their grave. It wasn't them. It wasn't their smarts. It wasn't their good looks. It wasn't the beautiful tattoos that they had on their bulging forearms. It was the move of God in their spirit, that freedom, that called them out. They were obedient. They listened. And now they're trying to live right. Two walking miracles. Hey, you want a proof? You want proof of God? I got one. I got two proofs right there. And many more sitting here in this place. And God is always moving. God is the God who hears. When you cry out to him, he hears you. He hears you. And he'll move. He'll move. Can we stand together?